This is the Art of Composing podcast with John Branningham, episode number eight, Understanding Musical Form. Welcome to the Art of Composing podcast with me, John Brantingham, where you can learn to compose music. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Composing podcast. Art of Composing is dedicated to unraveling the mysteries of musical composition and then teaching them in ways that allow you to become the composer that you want to be. In this episode, we're going to learn all about musical form and how you can learn to compose by watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about learning composition for a second. If you're like most people that want to start learning composition, you probably don't have a good idea about what you need to do to actually get that done. Learning composition is kind of a tricky thing because there's a lot of skills required in order to create even just a simple piece from scratch. Well, the Art of Composing Academy is exactly what you're looking for. If you're a beginner or even an experienced composer and you're looking to brush up on the fundamentals, then check out Music Composition 101. The course takes you from never having written anything on your own to creating solid classical pieces. You can check it out at academy.artofcomposing.com. That's academy.artofcomposing.com. So let's get on with the featured content. Musical form has always been an interesting subject to me. On the surface, form seems like it's a roadmap that you as a composer can follow to create pieces that sound a specific way. And this is true on the surface. But as you start to peel away these surface elements, you'll find that studying form is much deeper. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Now, I like to always start things off with a definition, and this is my personal definition, which I've created over studying form for the last few years. Musical form is an emergent feature of music that happens over time when you combine the separate elements of melody, harmony, rhythm, tempo, and texture. So let's take a minute to break this down and pull out some important points. That way, I know we're on solid ground as I start to explain the different kinds of musical form. Now first, musical form is an emergent feature of music that happens over time. Part of the mystery of musical form is why it creates certain feelings in people, and in particular, feelings of time or temporality. If you think about a piece of music that's done well, there is usually some point in music where you identify a beginning, a feeling that the music is just starting and that there's more to come. Now, there are certain features in music that lead you to this conclusion. What's cool is that if you were to listen to a piece of music that follows the traditional expectations of form, and you started that piece in the middle, there would be features that make it sound like the middle and not just a different beginning. Let's listen to an example. Now, even though we're just starting to listen to this piece, it still feels like it's in the middle somewhere. Something about it doesn't feel like an opening, and it certainly doesn't feel like it brings any closure. You see, this emergent feature, the feeling of temporality, is where the true power of musical form comes from. And it's this that we're trying to master. Temporality is really the state of existing or having some relationship with time, and musical form gives us the syntax to express music in time. So let's continue on with the definition. 
When you combine the separate elements of melody, harmony, rhythm, tempo, and texture. Now I think because most people don't quite get into the nitty-gritty details of what makes form work, most people are satisfied with knowing the labels for formal sections. For instance, in a small ternary form piece, you label the different sections with the letters A, B, and then A with an apostrophe, which stands for A prime. The problem is that there's a lot of meaning and ambiguity wrapped up in those labels. Remember, for uh, form is emergent, and that emergence comes from how the things like melody and harmony and rhythm and tempo and texture all come together to create these feelings of temporality. Now, knowing that a theme has an opening exposition and a contrasting middle and a recapitulation is great, but you need to know what the difference between an exposition um, and a recapitulation is, or what kind of harmony you normally find in a contrasting middle. You need to understand the effect a sequential progression has and why you won't normally find it in an exposition that uses a period. And ultimately, you need to understand how all of these techniques affect the listener. When you do understand these, your ability to craft your piece is greatly enhanced. So to repeat the definition one more time, musical form is an emergent feature of music that happens over time when you combine the separate elements of melody, harmony, rhythm, tempo, and texture. Now, I like to think of form happening on several levels simultaneously. There is form that happens on the small-scale level, and this includes elements like motives, ideas, phrases, cadences, and loosening techniques. This level is known as the intrathematic level, and the prefix intra means inside, so think of this as what's happening inside of your themes. The next level happens on a medium-sized scale, and this is how those themes that you create on the intrathematic level interact with each other to create larger forms like sonata form and minuet trio, concerto, and so on. And it consists of things like main themes, subordinate themes, transitions, developmental sections, and so on. This level is called interthematic, and you can remember this because the prefix inter means between. The last level is large-scale form, and it's concerned with cyclic coherence and beyond. Now, this level has to do with how different large forms like sonata and large ternary or sonata without development, rondo, and so on, all work together to create a coherent single work or possibly even how multiple works create a coherent style. Now, I'm not going to go uh, be able to cover all of the different types of large form in this episode as it would take too long. Instead, what we're going to do is just look at a single sonata form movement a little bit. So let's dive into an actual piece of music to get a better understanding of the levels. We're going to do this using one of my favorite pieces for teaching form, which is the first movement to Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 1. Now this piece is also the basis for my new upcoming course, Music Composition 201 Sonata Form, which you can uh, look for at the Academy. Now most people think that musical form is about the sections. You know, a lot of times you'll hear something like this. Sonata form is a full movement piece that has an exposition and a development and a recapitulation. And the exposition has a main theme, transition, and a subordinate theme. Then the development develops that material from the exposition, and the recapitulation brings it back in the tonic key. And that's all great, but it doesn't tell you much about what those sections are actually doing in the music and how they contribute to the feeling of time in a piece. 
So let's listen to the opening theme of Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. 1. This theme is very famous and is used in all sorts of textbooks as the quintessential classical sentence. And the reason is because it's known as a very tight-knit theme. Basically, a theme is a unit consisting of a conventional set of initiating, medial, and ending intrathematic functions and closes with a cadence. Now, this sounds very technical, but effectively, a theme is a section of music that you can consider complete but that also forms a part of a larger work. Now, a theme is built off of a standard set of expected features that create the sense of beginning, middle, and end, and a theme ends with a cadence in order to confirm the key. Now, when I say tight-knit theme, tight-knit basically means a conventional theme, kind of like a textbook version. This doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of thought and depth that go into the tight-knit themes. There is, but they're accomplishing something specific. A theme like this is basically setting the course for the rest of the movement. Beethoven starts with this opening idea. This is a very memorable idea and a very strong idea. And it's one of the reasons why the main theme has the, fe the feeling of a beginning. Compare that with the example we heard earlier, which was much looser and unconventional. Now, throughout the main theme, there are certain features that lead us to the conclusion that this is the beginning. For instance, the harmony is very clear and stated very succinctly. Beethoven goes from a 1 chord to a 5-6-5 five, five chord, back to a 1, then a 7-6 chord. Then he moves straight into a very strong half cadence. And this accomplishes several things. First, there's no doubt what key we are in. We are in F minor. And you can tell this because he's firmly establishing the, uh, the key through the back and forth between the tonic and the dominant, and then confirms it with this half cadence. Next, he also establishes the characteristic thematic idea for the entire movement, which is the rising F minor triad, which is also known as a Mannheim rocket. The basic idea is heard in many different ways throughout the movement, including a major version. There are several minor versions, including F minor. And he also does it in uh, C minor. And then uh, one last one, he actually inverts it for the subordinate theme. You can hear why we call it the characteristic material of a piece. Now from here, Beethoven quickly decides to take us on a trip, and he does this through what is called a transition. 
Now, a transition is a special kind of section that destabilizes the solid foundation that was set up by the main theme in order for the subordinate theme to take over and establish a new key. Let's listen. You can hear in this example that Beethoven is taking his original idea, called the basic idea, and then changing it just a little. He then leads into a section where he has sequential harmony. Now, I, I haven't talked much about harmony at this point, and that's basically because harmony is a very deep subject, and that will really require an episode of its own. But we need to have a shared language to discuss this, so I will give you a real quick overview. In a piece of music like this, you have what's called the home key, where you basically begin the piece. In this case, Beethoven has written it in F minor. And we already talked about how Beethoven firmly establishes and then confirms this key in the main theme. But as we get to the transition, he begins to take us out of this world of F minor, um, and so we're leaving our home key. This is the concept of destabilizing the home key. At this point, all we really know is F minor, but as Beethoven introduces a harmonic sequence, we begin to modulate into a new key, the subordinate key, which in this case is A flat major. Although this is a little obscured by having an F flat in the subordinate theme melody, causing it to sound a little bit like A flat minor. You can see just how much Beethoven is playing with the stability of the piece, and this is only bars 9 through 21. From here, we move into the subordinate theme. The subordinate theme tends to be much looser in construction, meaning it doesn't always follow the plan of the tight-knit conventional themes. And this all goes into creating more instability and setting us up for the much less stable development section. Think of loose themes as unconventional themes. They're really just distortions or deformations of tight-knit themes. Now at this point, generally, you would repeat the exposition, which Beethoven does, but for time's sake, we'll just keep on moving. And that will bring us into the development section. But before we get there, I'm going to use another analogy. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, then I think you're going to like it. If you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, hopefully you'll know enough about the story that this still kind of makes sense. I like to think of the main theme as kind of like the uh, being in the Shire. You're feeling good about sitting in a field of clovers, and everything is as it should be. That is, until Gandalf shows up. He's kind of like the transition. He sets things in motion that basically are going to be upsetting in the future, but you don't really know that yet. He tells you that you're responsible for some ring, but at this point, he's only asking you to go to Bree, so what could be the harm? In Bree, things don't seem that bad at first, but what you don't realize is there are some Nazgul waiting to kill you. Luckily, Strider shows up, and he saves you, and eventually takes you to Rivendell. In retrospect, Bree is sort of like the subordinate theme. A little looser, a slightly wilder bunch of people, and there's a little bit of danger. 
Now at Rivendell, you meet with the council and it's confirmed this, that this journey has to take place. This is kind of like confirming the subordinate key at the end of the exposition. Well, the next section, the development, is kind of like the impending journey to Mordor. There are twists and turns, major keys, minor keys, sequences, and usually a lot of diminished chords. Let's hear Beethoven's development. Now, there are a lot of things going on here to make it feel like you're in the middle of a journey. And this is only an introduction, not a course, so I can't cover them all. But there are things like lots of modulations to other key areas called development keys and lots of sequences, bringing back ideas from the main and subordinate themes but not resolving them, more surface rhythm and increased rates of harmonic change. These all add up to the temporal feeling of the middle. Basically, you're creating turmoil. Now to get back to the Lord of the Rings analogy, think of all of the different places the journey will take them. The failed attempt to cross the Misty Mountains, meeting the Balrog in the mines of Moria, battling Saruman, and eventually you get to Mount Doom itself and you climb up the sides of Mount Doom to drop the ring in the lava. Now it's not a great place to be. It's all this turmoil that will propel you through to the next section, which is called the recapitulation. The recapitulation is the place where you resolve the open ends left by the exposition and development. You generally restate the main theme, and also very important, you bring back the subordinate theme in the home key. This helps to give you closure and firmly establish the piece of uh, the, the piece in the original home key.
Now you may have noticed there were some slight additions to the uh, to the themes there, and sometimes you can even find a new theme-like unit at the end called a coda. But overall, the exposition and the recapitulation are generally the same. Now to round out our Lord of the Rings analogy, you get to Gondor and the battle is over, and now you can return to the Shire in peace. Sure, Sauron and Wormwood have taken over the Shire, and you have to lead a small revolt of hobbits to take it back, but that's nothing you can't handle. I mean, you just climbed Mount Doom and defeated Sauron. Now by the end, everything is hunky-dory. Obviously, there is a lot more going on under the surface, and unfortunately, that can't really be covered in a podcast episode. For instance, how is Beethoven using his melody and accompaniment to create these feelings of time? Or where does he thin out the texture, and where does he thicken it up? What kinds of sequences does he use the most, and where are they used? All of these take a lot of time and study to be able to use in your own composition, but what they are doing is just as important as knowing how to do them. And you may learn the techniques, but you need to be able to apply them. Once you can, then you get to the best part of musical form, the ability to distort the techniques. You see, the true power of form is that it has so many elements that come together to create it, and that's why it can work with any style or genre or any kind of instrumentation you can throw at it, and it will allow you to play with the notions of time and how your listeners perceive your music. So let's go over what we learned in this episode. Musical form is an emergent feature of music that happens over time when you combine the separate elements of melody, harmony, rhythm, tempo, and texture. Because form emerges through all of these separate elements working together, you are able to play with the notions of time by modifying them and distorting them. A great way to learn these techniques is to study classical form, and in particular, the sonata form. A sonata form movement is made up of an exposition, which establishes the characteristic melodic motivic material and the home key in the main theme, and then begins a journey of destabilizing this through the transition, the subordinate theme, and the development. In the recapitulation, we bring back the main theme and the subordinate theme, but this time, all of it in the home key. And then finally, learning musical form gives you the ability to create the feeling of temporality in any style, genre, or instrumentation you want, because the concepts are the same across the board. Thanks again for listening to the Art of Composing podcast. If you like the show, leave me a review in iTunes. So far, we're up to 15 uh, reviews, and 14 of those are five stars. So I'd like to thank everybody that's taken the time to review the podcast. Um, I really like the one from the Classical Cat. He says, I'm using this as a guide to learn composition. I love it. Answers a lot of questions in a very specific, understandable manner. Thanks, John. Hope to see you at the Oscars. Well, Classical Cat, I hope to see you at the Oscars because that would be freaking awesome. As usual, you can find the show notes at artofcomposing.com slash episode 8. Remember, if you want to learn about this and other topics, head on over to the Academy at academy.artofcomposing.com. There, you'll find college-level courses in music composition. Right now, we have our flagship course up, Music Composition 101, called The Fundamentals, and the goal of this course is to take, you, take away the mystery of composing music and teach you the fundamental skills and techniques required to compose traditional classical music. 
And just as with form, these skills will transfer over into any kind of composing you do, whether you are a classical composer, a singer-songwriter, a film composer, or you have your own style not yet defined. So head on over to academy.artofcomposing.com, that's academy.artofcomposing.com, and check it out. So until next time, remember, nobody tosses a dwarf.